Next on News for the Soul, it's time for Breaking Through with Grace Gideon. Grace is a passionate and dedicated international life coach with a bachelor's in law, a master's in East-West psychology and an expert in addictions. Grace combines these skills in her practice to clinically and intuitively diagnose and break through subconscious issues that prevent you from achieving success and fulfillment. She has a unique capacity to tune in to repress psychological and emotional blocks and to teach effective techniques to transform your life in a deep and long-lasting way. And now to help you make your next breakthrough, here's Grace. Ta-da! How's it going, Grace? Hey, Nicole. Great. How are you? I'm well. I just had a healing time and a bit of a coma, so I'll just be so... <laughs> I heard that. I was so mm-hmm. tempted to call in and get her to get rid of my back pain. <laughs> oh, oh she sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah. Ah, good. Well, well, you relax then. Um, I'll wake you up, hey, somewhere during the show and say, <laughs> my stuff's heavy. You're relaxing. Today, hi, everyone. Hi, I'm Grace Gideon. Welcome back to Breaking Through with Grace on News for the Soul Life Changing Talk Radio. So today's topic is barriers to intimacy. This is a continuation of the series I've been doing on the conscious versus the unconscious relationship. I keep thinking I want to change it up a bit, go back to self-esteem, food addiction, put some interviews on. But every time I write another script for News for the Soul for the conscious versus the unconscious relationship, I think, Oh my God, there's more stuff I've got to talk about. So I just feel called to continue with this uh, since we've, you know, got lots of time together and uh, hopefully people will just have a group of podcasts that they can go back to the News for the Soul website and listen to um, or my website and get a whole load of information on conscious uh, relationships. Last Uh, last show I talked about addictive relationships and trauma bonds I described them as two forms of the unconscious relationship so this week I want to specifically talk about false fixed beliefs toxic feelings and defense mechanisms which block intimacy and delay the evolution of your relationship from, let's say, an unconscious or a semi-conscious state to a conscious one, or even delay you from attracting a conscious relationship in your life if you don't have one and you do want one. So in other words, we're looking now not at the highly toxic relationship like addictive relationships and trauma bonds, but instead at beliefs, emotions and defense mechanisms that operate within, you know, maybe semi-conscious or reasonable relationships, but that these beliefs, emotions and behaviors lower your vibration and put up barriers to a profound intimacy. Okay, that's the distinction for you. We're not talking about toxic relationships. We're talking about dysfunctional 
or limiting behaviors and, and emotions that go on within a relationship. If this topic is of interest to you and you have a question for me, then a little later in the show you'll have an opportunity to call and ask me your question. The call-in number is one six four six five nine five four two seven four. Press one, you'll hear a message, you're now in the host queue. Hold on and Nicole will put you through to me. Or if you don't want to speak and you just want to email in your question, the email address is on the air at tellus.net. T-E-L-U-S dot net. And I'll answer your question for you. Okay, here we go. Let's recap on the definition of a conscious relationship. A conscious relationship is one where you and your partner move towards the goal of wholeness by fostering each other's psycho-spiritual growth. This is a mutual process driven by the soul and supported by a divine harmony. Okay, so you might want to write some of that down if you got that or listen back. So a conscious relationship is one where you and your partner move towards the goal of wholeness by fostering each other's psycho-spiritual growth. This is a mutual process driven by the soul and supported by a divine harmony. But how? How do we foster each other's psycho-spiritual or soul growth? The big how. How. We know what, but how do we do this? I often go to amazing talks by spiritual leaders and I listen to these super inspiring, you know, philosophies on how to live my life. And I go, yeah, wow, that's amazing. But how do I do it? Give me the nuts and bolts. So I can't give you all the nuts and bolts in an hour, but I can get started. We can make a start on getting somewhere with it. So I've stated in previous podcasts that there are four components to a conscious relationship. Let me summarize them. Number one, acknowledge that any partner or prospective partner is a mirror, a mirror designed to help you see what's necessary for your betterment. They're a mirror designed to help you see to look into what is necessary and required for your betterment, for your growth. Two, after you've acknowledged that they're a mirror, accept their humanness without judgment. Three, support that person as they support you to heal the shadow aspects of yourself. And four, Intend that at the core of this relationship is your mutual soul growth. Acknowledge, accept, support, intend mutual soul growth. Okay. So if you're wondering how, you have to put yourself into that state of what you have to acknowledge, what you have to accept, what you have to support, what you have to intend. They're the four components. Let's call that 
the framework. You then need help with the details, right? Build the frame, colour in the in bits. Lots of details. Let's have a go at discussing some of them today. You're going to need to know what qualities are required of you and what barriers there are in your way. Then you need to know how to cultivate those qualities and overcome the barriers. Make sense? Let's uh, look at identifying these. Obviously, there are many qualities required and obstacles to be overcome. Life is complex. Relationships are multidimensional. I can't say I'm going to wrap it all up, but I can give you a focus on what I think are the key factors or linchpins, uh, if you like, in achieving this conscious relationship. In terms of qualities, and if you have a pen, you might want to write this down. A conscious relationship of the description I've just given requires the quality of A, a deep vulnerability that results in B, a profound intimacy. A deep vulnerability that results in a profound intimacy. The barriers that prevent this from occurring are one, false fixed beliefs, two, negative emotions, in particular toxic shame, and three, blocking behaviours, otherwise known as defence mechanisms. False fixed beliefs, negative emotions, blocking behaviours. Beliefs, emotions, behaviours. I'm going to take a look now at the first quality of deep vulnerability. This is Adam and Eve naked in the Garden of Eden. Naked with each other emotionally, physically, intellectually, spiritually. Yet, was this state of vulnerability earned by Adam and Eve? Did they earn it? No. It was gifted to them. It came from their innocence whilst they were in a state of perfection, paradise. However, story goes, they were also gifted with free will. And when their actions led to imperfection, they could no longer stay in that state of vulnerability, in that pure nakedness. As the myth goes, they were in blissful ignorance. Then they ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. This gave them insight into reality, a reality that lacked perfection, a reality that they didn't know how to handle. And now what? Well, they couldn't return to blissful ignorance. So... They were now on an evolutionary journey, journey, the journey to either be lost in paradise 
all to heal the shame of imperfection, to use knowledge because they ate of the tree of knowledge, to use knowledge of the darkness as a way to return to the light. Since they couldn't undo what they had done or unknow what they had come to know, they had to challenge themselves to learn what they needed to learn in order to conquer their darkness. I call this the process of maturation from childlike innocence through the trials of fear and bewilderment and shame into a mature self-knowledge, a mature self-love, a mature love of each other and a return to the holy union. I guess the Bible gave us the beginning of that journey. And so too have other great spiritual texts given perennially similar stories. But it's up to us to write the end. Adam and Eve's childlike vulnerability was replaced with shame. Shame that was symbolized by the covering up with the fig leaves. Then the real work began, how to heal the shame. So how do we heal our own shame? How do we address our own imperfection? The answer is to be deeply vulnerable. Not when you're in a state of innocence and perfection. That's easy. Being vulnerable when you're perfect is easy. Who's going to judge you for that? The real work is being deeply vulnerable in a flawed, shame-based state after the fall from grace and transmuting that back to grace. It's a great myth, the Adam and Eve one, because just taking it back to us, nothing's really changed for humanity since then. You know, they say nothing's new since the Bible. Well, we're born into an innocent vulnerability as children. Our nakedness is authentic and pure. But then the trials of life replace that innocent vulnerability with fear and shame, don't they? Our shadow self holds our shame and our masks that we put onto the world, they're the fig leaves we cover our shame with. Being vulnerable when you carry shame is extremely terrifying. And so we develop behaviors that are defense mechanisms to protect us. Okay, follow that process, follow the metaphor. So let's go back to why must we be deeply vulnerable to be in a conscious relationship? I mean, surely there's people out there going, oh, this girl's so naive, you know, she's talking philosophy again. My therapist told me that given my history to have boundaries, you can't go around over-disclosing to everyone. It's not a safe world out there. And you're right, but remember... Boundaries are different to barriers. Vulnerability is different to emotional dumping. And the basic premise for a conscious relationship is that your partner is not abusive. So I'm not saying, you know, get out there like a bleeding heart. I'm saying the quality of deep vulnerability is actually 
one with boundaries and containment and selection of person who you're vulnerable with. But it's a deep, it's a deep nakedness. It's a deep authenticity that we're looking for that comes from maturation, comes from going through the trials and tribulations of life. Our evolution requires us to accept we are in an imperfect human condition and it requires us to use free will to choose to heal our shame in order to love ourselves as we are and discover the light from a mature place rather than just be gifted it. It's a journey of being born of the divine, losing part of that during the journey and then returning to it. I mean, not that you have to lose it, but when trauma happens, we do get disconnected. And when life happens, we do get disconnected. So it's a constant choosing to return to love. Um, That famous title from Mary Ann Williamson's book, Return to Love. We, We can't really ever hide from ourselves or the truth of our imperfection. And the same is true in a relationship, that we can't hide from the truth of our imperfection with our true love partner either. We can't hide that part of us. Because without that level of truth and authenticity, without that level of nakedness, the dark recesses of our subconscious and all the bits that we disown will eventually pull us back into a shame spiral or the darkness with them. We won't be able to consistently maintain a loving relationship if we don't behave in a truthful and authentic way, both with ourselves and with our partner. The darkness needs the light to dissolve it and to free you from toxic shame. These dark emotions can't be removed without the light, and the light can't enter without self-exposure. Self-exposure is essentially what vulnerability is, naked physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. If you don't find a way to be that with your partner, then there'll be some part of you you're always hiding and that's where the shame and the darkness gain fuel. You'll know forever that you can't be real with that person you love the most. So you can't deeply relax. When you don't deeply relax, you don't find true peace. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen to you on the first date, by the way. Deep vulnerability is a process within the evolutionary journey of a conscious relationship. You don't just arrive into it on date one. But you do have to risk it. You have to risk the self-exposure in order to find profound intimacy, which is the second quality I mentioned before. You have to risk self-exposure to find profound intimacy. 
So let's talk about profound intimacy. Now, some people might say, why would anyone put a barrier to a profound intimacy? That's, that's why we listen to News for the Soul. That's why we go to all these inspirational talks and that's why we're listening to this. We, we long for profound intimacy. If only we could find it. Surely, you know, we're not putting up barriers to it. Well, most of you have heard the saying, intimacy stands for into me you see. Yeah? Intimacy. Into me you see. Well, to the shame-based aspect of ourselves, Intimacy is absolutely terrifying. Why? Because intimacy is not just vulnerability. Showing the other person the real you and risking rejection is tough enough. But intimacy is also surrender. It's allowing yourself to merge with the other person by dropping your defenses and thereby risking engulfment. It's like finally making yourself visible. Look at me, I'm vulnerable, I've exposed myself, I'm completely visible to, to, to this other person that I love. I've, I've been really truthful and authentic. I am now fully visible. But you're risking becoming visible to then only to risk becoming invisible if they take you over. I love a line from Passionate Marriage by David Schnarch. It goes something like this. I don't remember it exactly, but it was, how do I hold on to me without losing you? I always think about that line. A union in a conscious relationship is not about losing yourself. It's two mature selves capable of deep self-reflection and safe in a healthy surrender to each other. When you listen back to this podcast, listen to the adjectives I've chosen. Mature selves, not whole selves. Capable of self-reflection. Safe in a healthy surrender. I've chosen those words carefully because they describe what you have to attain in order to to get into these conscious to get into a conscious relationship or a conscious state. So summarizing that, to elevate your consciousness to one which is ready for a conscious relationship, you must be open to a deep vulnerability and willing to experience a profound intimacy. You have to risk, gamble, have faith, whichever way you want to frame it that your imperfect self is worthy of love and capable of showing up for a conscious relationship and all that, that involves. Sound like a lot of work? Come on, you can do it. Make a start at least by believing you can. Okay, so they're the qualities. I mentioned three barriers. Let's now look at those barriers. One, false fixed beliefs. Two, negative emotions, specifically toxic shame. Three, blocking behaviors, which I call, or many of us call, defense mechanisms, psychological defense mechanisms. 
behavioural defence mechanisms. Let's start off with the false fixed beliefs. A little story about me. I used to dream for so long, dream about having a super sexy, loving relationship. Then when someone amazing would come along, my mind would start the chatter. It would say, oh, he's too good for you. He's super hot or, you know, he's like amazing and you're not slim enough. And then later it became, you might be slimmer, but you're too old. You've got stretch marks. He'll be disappointed. You better hide yourself. In a snapshot, the belief that would sabotage me is you're not physically good enough to be loved. You are inadequate. Get those fig leaves out. Hide your physical shame. It's where your defectiveness is obvious. It's where your inadequacy is obvious. No one can love you because of this failing. This went on for years. Surprising I actually ever got married married to a very handsome man but it went on for years until my husband (laughs) he said to me in his Mediterranean accent hey Grace you know I've seen your body so stop hiding I can't really do his accent but I just couldn't believe it when he said that you know he said I've seen your body so stop hiding And here I was thinking all that sophisticated mood lighting for years had kept all my inadequate bits strategically hidden and he'd managed to see it all anyway. A waste of time. And what a waste of good quality neurosis on that light. I mean, I could have been neurosing over something much more chronic than that. Anyway. When he said that to me, I kind of had, a, you know, one of those moments of the, you know, flash of the blinding obvious. And I realized that, hey, even though I'm imperfect, he's still there and we're still sexually attracted to each other. I mean, he might look at other women, but he's still with me and he still finds me attractive. Well, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I never thought that that was possible. And once I realized that he was seeing who I was all the way and I was under the illusion of hiding, I was able to relax and stop hiding that part of me anyway. Wow. Finally allowed to be physically naked because For some of us, inadequacy comes that, you know, I'm not rich enough, I'm not good-looking enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not educated enough, I'm not wanted, um, I'm unworthy in many ways, but mine was all located in the physicality. My belief was that I was unlovable because I was physically imperfect. That's where I I dumped it all. Um, I I was obsessed with that idea. And there is some childhood trauma as why I made up this belief and located it in my physical being. But at the end of the day, beyond that trauma, that belief was a lie. It was displaced, unresolved trauma, but it was a lie about my lovability. 
notice I use the word lie. Let's look at the word belief. What's the middle section in the word belief? Nicole, do you know the answer? What's the middle word in the word belief? Nicole isn't there. Well, the middle section in the word belief. Unmute. Okay. (laughs) You do? What's the middle section of the word belief? Do you know? The middle section. There's a word. Yeah, there's a word in the word belief. What's the word? Lie. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The middle word in the word belief is the word lie. This means belief has a lie at its center. Isn't that interesting? I mean, surely there's a warning for us all. Yeah? So examine your beliefs. The warning is examine your beliefs as they may be lies. My belief was a lie that used to rule me. You have a belief that's a lie that rules you. Beliefs that are lies that rule you are called false fixed beliefs. They're like trauma bonds. You're so hypnotized by the truth of these beliefs that you don't realize they are lies. They rule you like an addiction rules an addict or a perpetrator rules a victim. You can't break free of them. They've convinced you that they're truth despite having the word lie at their core. Your whole mind just created a whole lot of rationalizations and justifications um, for why they're truth. Just like addiction does that, you know. It creates a whole lot of rationalizations and justifications to tell you it's the truth, but it's a lie. And they end up shaping your identity And because you believe them so much, you manufacture a barrier to love. False fixed beliefs manufacture barriers to love. And then you can end up more attached to that belief. For example, a belief that you're unworthy or unlovable than you are to your desire to be loved. I mean, you know, you might want to be right more than you want to be loved because it somehow gives you a sense of certainty. None of this is happening consciously. It's all unconscious. And that's why deep work is necessary to uproot it. So your perfectionism might ask, how can anyone love me when I'm not perfect? Yet you look around and there's all these other imperfect beings receiving love. So in a conscious relationship, your partner's there to help you heal this shadow aspect of yourself. My husband did it for me accidentally. And that's great. They don't have to do it for you intentionally. But they're there to help you heal the shadow aspect of yourself. That's where you stride out past the fear of intimacy. You embrace vulnerability and you speak and act authentically. That's where you take an emotionally calculated risk that if your partner's truly the one for you, then he or her response to your self-exposure is going to be to embrace your imperfection as part of your humanness and you'll embrace theirs as part of their humanness. So the the main false fixed belief that blocks profound intimacy that people have is that 
is a belief of inadequacy or unworthiness of receiving true love. No one will love me if they knew my defects. That's the main belief, inadequacy or unworthiness. So then we build barriers to protect ourselves from humiliation, rejection, abandonment, judgment. The second most common belief that blocks intimacy is I'm unsafe. I'll be, ungu- I'll be engulfed, controlled, trapped or suffocated. I can't maintain my sense of self. I can't hold on to me and be with you. I don't know how to love that way. I'm going to get taken over. So it's not safe for me to let anyone in. So then we build barriers to defend against that. And the third one is the lie of lack. You know, when you hear people say, there's no real love out there for me. I don't believe in it. I'll never be fulfilled. I'm just going to learn how to live my life happily on my own. And that's a defense mechanism to protect you against being stuck in something unsatisfactory or disappointing. So you build barriers against that. So building barriers against rejection, barriers against control, barriers against disappointment. Without exception, every client I've seen in 17 years of practice who isn't in a conscious relationship and wants one is someone who's still hiding something from themselves due to a lie buried within themselves that they haven't been able to access yet. Or they've accessed it, but it hasn't gone. The lie of inadequacy, the lie of unsafety, or the lie of lack. I'm not good enough to receive the love I yearn for, or the love I yearn for will endanger me, or there's no real love out there for me, I can't be fulfilled. It doesn't matter whether you're demanding it, delivering monologues about it, about how you deserve it, or have all your friends telling you how amazing you are. If it's not there in your life and you want it, then somewhere in the deep recesses of your psyche, someone told you a lie that you're unworthy or incapable of having an amazing, passionate, supportive, healthy, loving relationship. And somewhere in your psyche, you still believe it. Or they set you up to adopt the lie that you're going to be consumed and taken over by anybody else that you give yourself to. Now that usually operates in people who are surrogate spouses to their, to their um, parents or caretakers of their primary caregivers or siblings. You know, that, that I'm going to be consumed, I'm going to be taken over, too much responsibility. Also, People who had a parent who was passive and dominated by their domestic situation and they watched that person lose their voice or career or passion, these people, you know, they've had evidence of a loss of individuality so they're very cautious and they can sometimes sacrifice intimacy in return for the safety of a solitary autonomy. People who've been abused actually have evidence of a lack of safety. So you've got to acknowledge that this story was definitely true for them at some point. But if it lives in their current experience and they're no longer in danger, then it's now turned into a lie, like a phantom pain. And that lie requires trauma release work to heal it. Okay, so that's false fixed beliefs. The next one is toxic shame. 
toxic shame. I did the beliefs. Now I'm going to talk about the negative emotion. I'm just focusing on toxic shame. Here's another little word quiz for you. Nicole, do you want to have a go at this one? <laughs> okay, I'll say it. Emotion. Emotion is E-motion. Energy in motion. Yeah? Emotion is energy in motion. Healthy shame is a self-regulating emotional signal that moves through you when you've behaved inappropriately. It's there to guide you to correct thoughtless, inferior or unloving behavior and improve your behavior for next time. That's healthy shame. What's toxic shame? Toxic shame is when the emotion of shame is not moving through you, but it's getting internalized and stuck in your cellular memory and becoming part of your self-story, part of your identity. Yeah? Rather than, I did a bad thing, I am bad. That sort of stuff. That's toxic shame. Let me give you an example. Your boyfriend breaks up with you or your girlfriend breaks up with you and instead of thinking, oh, that's a shame that they don't love me anymore, you think, he doesn't love me anymore because there's something wrong with me or she doesn't love me anymore because there's something wrong with me. Something inherently wrong that I can't fix. It's always been that way. It always happens to me. Something makes me inadequate and unworthy of love. I'm going to have to go into therapy forever and not have a relationship until I fix me because I got dumped. Otherwise, no one's ever going to love me. Yeah, that's the story. It's not, ah, it's a shame. Yeah, they're not interested anymore. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, here I go again. I've stopped up. I'm unlovable. I'm inadequate. I'm unworthy. I thought I got over it, but I'm not. That's a lie. It's a pattern. It's a habit. And the more you do it, the more it grows. That's a negative emotion of toxic shame embedded in your cellular memory. What's it do? It fuels false, fixed beliefs of unworthiness, unlovability. Then these false, fixed beliefs fuel the shame and the cycle continues to build within you until you end up with some kind of relationship inferiority complex. Or, in other words, a huge barrier to being vulnerable and an equally huge fear of intimacy. This toxic shame can come from past experiences or it can be carried from your mother or father or previous generations who pass on the toxic shame. Do you know that you can inherit energy, unresolved trauma, you know? The sins of the, the fathers are delivered onto the children. The term for that when you inherit the unresolved shame, toxic shame from past generations is called carried toxic shame. And toxic shame is a whole topic which I'm more than happy to do a shame on and if you, a show on, a shame on, a show on. If you want to hear about that, send me an email and I'll do a show on toxic shame. So the negative emotion fuels the false fixed beliefs that then create the behaviors that block intimacy. Negative thoughts, 
negative emotions, negative behaviors, negative emotions, negative thoughts, negative behaviors. You can go thoughts, feelings, feelings, thoughts, end up in blocking behaviors. Okay. So, in terms of the uh, defense mechanisms now, let's have a look at those. The defense mechanisms are blocking behaviors. Again, we might say, why would anyone want to, you know, block block this behavior? Of course, there's a part of us craving and longing for intimacy, longing to be seen exactly as we are so we can kind of rest in a peaceful, loving connection. But that shame-based side, the side that employs defense mechanisms, it employs them to hide, avoid, block, blame, deflect and project because it wants to stay invisible. It needs to mask the shame. It's not interested in intimacy. you see. It's not interested in vulnerability. Its main purpose is protection. Defense mechanisms, like the Department of Defense, their main purpose is protection. Protection from annihilation. Protection from loss of identity. It sees vulnerability not as an opportunity for elevation to a holy union, but rather to be humiliated by all those cruel people who are reminded of the painful trauma from an unhealed past. So the defense mechanisms are employed by your psyche. They're put on a mission to protect and defend against threat, psychic, emotional, physical, spiritual threat. These defense mechanisms may have been useful at one point, but right now what they're doing to you is they're fighting for an illusion of freedom from a perceived pain from your past that's actually creating a prison of avoidance and at times loneliness for you. So I'm going to identify some of these defense mechanisms, some of these behaviors that we employ to protect ourselves. They're our arsenal. They're our weaponry. And then again in another show, I'll go into them in more detail. But there's just so many defense mechanisms that the psyche um, employs to protect itself from perceived threat. I can't go into them all now. But having identified the main false fixed beliefs of inadequacy, unsafety and lack, the main negative emotion of toxic shame, I'm just going to give you a list now of defense mechanisms. And if you do have a pen, I really want you to write them down or listen back later. Here they are. I'm going to give you 14 of them. The first five are the ones where I call when you do too little. And these are hiding, here are defense mechanism behaviors that block intimacy. Hiding, deflecting, avoiding, withholding, and minimizing. Hiding, deflecting, avoiding, withholding, minimizing. Here's the ones that I call too much behavior. Overgiving over-responsible, caretaking, martyrdom, catastrophizing. 
too much, the others were too little. And then these ones don't have a title for me, but there they go. Here I go. These are the ones. This one is the one where you live in your head, like over-intellectualizing. You can put rationalizing and theorizing under that. Over-intellectualizing, grandiosity, blame, seduction, and projection. Let me add that up. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. There's actually 15 of them. Hiding, deflecting, avoiding, withholding, minimizing. Overgiving, over-responsible, caretaking, martyrdom, catastrophizing. Then the other five, over-intellectualizing, grandiosity, blame, seduction, and projection. You can just see like there's a wealth of content right there that I can go into. And happy again to continue in my series to talk about those fuller and, and more fully. But uh, right now, I'm not going to explain each one, but instead I'm going to ask you to do a journaling assignment that's going to involve you doing some writing on some of these defense mechanisms, okay? So we're going to come back to them in the writing assignment and I'm going to ask you to send that writing in to me so that I can help you with that. But before we go to the journaling assignment, I'm going to ask Nicole... If there's any questions or any callers, if you want call, to ask me a question. Grace, we're running short on yes. time. So let's take a quick call, area code 514. What's your first name? Where are you calling in from? Area code 514, you're live. What's your first name? Where are you calling in from? 514. Okay, I can't get 514 live. Let's take a quick call, or sorry, a question from listener. Uh, we've got Lorraine in Ontario. She's asking, why does she keep re-manifesting? Oh, I see we dropped callers. Sorry about that. Just try back in. Uh, Lorraine wants to know, why does she keep re-manifesting the same pattern in relationships? Wow, that's a broad question. Um why do I keep re-manifesting the same pattern in relationships? I wish, Lorraine, you'd get on the phone so I can hear what that pattern is. But we, we re-manifest a pattern because we haven't understood what the underlying issue is, so we haven't healed it. So, yeah, you've got to, you've got to write to me, Lorraine, and tell me what that pattern is you're manifesting so we can dig in and find out are you in some sort of trauma repetition? Are you picking the same person over and over again because you haven't identified what the false fixed belief is that you're running? You know, you might want to do some writing on um, the false fixed beliefs that you're running about yourself and to see whether that belief is drawing in a particular behavior from the same person or lots of different people with the same behavior. Okay. Any other calls or questions, Nicole? No, the switchboard dropped all the callers, Grace. Um, maybe just getting into that a little deeper on how you really clear out those patterns because they're deep, they're subconscious. We're not conscious of them, correct? Okay, yeah. Well, look, 
maybe those people um, who's because we've got um, eight minutes left and I tried really hard to allow time for callers maybe those people um, don't get upset about the switchboard dropping them out if you've got a chance just quickly send in an email to on the air at tellus.net t-e-l-u-s dot net on the air at tellus.net and see um, see if uh, you can quickly send me your question so I can answer it for you. So, Nicole... Um, well, why don't we just, go with an obvious what, pattern, Grace, something where, um, you know, an obvious pattern that people, well, women, sometimes get stuck into is um, if they've had an abusive past and they'll re-manifest abusive relationships. Why don't we deal with that as an example? Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to, you know, so... Um, so I was saying the barriers to intimacy in a conscious relationship is false fixed beliefs. So I was saying, look at the lies that you tell yourself. So people who've been in abusive relationships or have watched their mother or father in an abusive relationship have got evidence, they've got data from their past that this is going to be unsafe. So what's happening is that they're drawing on that data of unsafety and they're taking that information with them into um, future dynamics with people. So when they meet another person or when they're interacting with their husband or wife, they're projecting that onto them. Yeah? So yesterday I, um, you know, I... uh, I had a lovely couple and it was really interesting because they were very um, spiritually evolved, actually amazing couple but and, and, and very committed to each other. But she said to him, I would like X, Y, Z from you. And then, um, and then he said, it doesn't seem that you believe that I can give that to you. So then I asked her, you know, an obvious question um, is, could w- would you have asked exactly what you just asked of your husband, of your father? And she said, yeah, actually, I would have. I hadn't made that connection before. So it was an unresolved um, longing from her history that she was then able to realize that you know, was operating and projecting onto her husband. And once she was able to say that to him, he was a bit more relaxed and he said, I want to give that to you. And she said, that's lovely. And um, we were able to take that projection off um, because she uncovered um, a, a lie. It may have been a truth in the past, but it was a lie within this relationship. Just like me with my husband here, I was like, you know, for years, turning off the light. And he said, I've actually seen your body, you know, you haven't turned the lights off enough. Why, why are you still so obsessed with hiding when there's nothing left to hide? And I think most people, we think we're hiding stuff that everybody else already knows about us, but we're so busy in our head pretending that, that um, we're not hiding or pretending they can't see it, but they've seen it, you know, it's obvious to everyone and they've accepted us anyway or they're judging us and they're not the right people for us anyway. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, mm. 
You know, I think on, I know that we're four minutes to the top of the hour. We want to shift it into the wrap up, but in future shows, you know, really going deeper on how to truly clear those patterns is a big deal. So I know it comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, techniques to use. See, the interesting thing is when I talk about, um, you know, conscious relationships and barriers to intimacy, um, and then I identify them, it's like giving people techniques is good too, and I can do that. Um, and I see a lot of literature that, that does that. But I guess the way that I work, that people know with the how of how to do things, is the main technique that I use to get you to clear a trauma pattern is, is this three-step process. Name it, claim it, let it go. I, I go over that several times. So... What I try and do in, in these talks, in the show, is give you a whole lot of content on what it is you need to identify. So when I say, here are the qualities of deep vulnerability and profound intimacy, and here are the barriers, false disbelief, toxic shame, and blocking behaviors, um, it, it's not enough of a how, because I fundamentally believe you need to work with someone on the how, you know. I, I just, I can't not believe that because the psyche is so sophisticated. Um, so what I like people to do is go, oh, right, okay. I'll make notes on what Grace said are the areas um, of what I need to do. Let, let, me, let me have a look at what beliefs, okay. Let me have a look at my beliefs. Am I operating in a belief of lack? Am I operating in a belief of unsafety? Or am I um, operating in a belief of unworthiness? Just to get started. And you might have your own variations of that, undesirability, unlovability, unwantedness, but they fit under those headings, yeah? Um, fear of control, fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, fear of engulfment, um, fear of disappointment, fear of lack of fulfillment. Literally three minutes to the top of the hour with another show right behind you. So we'll get you yep. to tie it up and make sure we get some sure. shameless self-promotion next. Okay. All right. So I'll just finish that sentence. Thank you so much, Nicole. So please, people, um, don't look for a fast food answer to the, to the power of your psyche. Listen to this stuff, make notes about it, journal about it, and then anyone who uh, watches, uh, who listens to News for the Soul, who listens to News for the Soul, is welcome to have a one-on-one session, coaching session with me at 50% off my regular rates, so that I can direct you in the right, um, on the right path of how to address stuff. You're welcome to send me an email for free. So here's the shameless self-promotion. Call me, book a session at 50%. Take the notes, listen to the podcast, do the assignments. If you don't want to work with me, if you've already got an awesome coach or therapist to work with, work with, work with them, do the exercises, um, name it, claim it, let it go. Okay, so that's my shameless self-promotion. Keep listening to the show re-listen to the podcast, book a session at 50% off. Here's the journaling assignment. Guys, sorry about um, the, the, 
phone's dropping out, but here's a journaling assignment. Take it down. If you don't take it down, go to my website in two days' time under the radio show tab will be the podcast from today and this journaling assignment next to it. But here it is. Number one. Okay, Nicole, this is the how to break the pattern. Okay. One, what, write down what is your core false fixed belief. Okay, pick it. Use your intuition if you don't know it. Then write down where it came from. Try and remember when you first started believing this about yourself and journal about it. Number two, write down what you're ashamed of that might be preventing you from attracting profound intimacy or allowing profound intimacy. What part of you do you not want people to see? And number three, pick five of the defense mechanisms I mentioned earlier that you know you engage in. Write a paragraph on each one of them and how you have seen them block intimacy in your relationships, past or present. Explore when, where and how you use them. Tell the truth to yourself. Tell the truth to another safe person and then write about what you can do differently. Is that practical enough for you there, Nicole? That's perfect, Grace. Excellent. We're right at the top okay. of the hour. And um, all right. time and, and moving deeper into all this. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for joining me today. Thank you, Nicole. I'll be back in two weeks, Monday, July the 3rd at 3 p.m. PST to help you make your next breakthrough. Thanks, Nicole. Bye, everyone. Bye for now. Grace Gideon all linked up at newsforthesoul.com. A little break, and we're going straight in. Christine Scott next right here on News for the Soul. This is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. It's a great honor to have you on the show tonight. Welcome, Deepak Chopra. Thank you. Yes, this is Uri. Hi, Uri. It's Nicole Whitney calling News for the Soul. Welcome to News for the Soul, Robert Allen. Thank you, Nicole. It's great to be here with you tonight. Why are you here? We're talking to Carolyn Mace about Sacred Contracts, one of her many best-selling books. Welcome to the show, Greg Braden. Well, good evening, Nicole. It's uh, certainly a pleasure to hear your voice and a pleasure to be here tonight. Welcome to the show, Stuart Wilde. Thank you very much. John Kehoe, welcome to News for the Soul. Hey, how are you? Next up, Dr. David Morehouse. I'm so glad that you called me because you are doing such an important task, important work, because you are spreading a very positive message. I was really moved by last... Next on News for the Soul, it's time for Your True Identity with Christine Scott. Christine is a gifted and natural-born psychic who enjoys helping others along their spiritual and healing path. Let's welcome...